Put your hands together, church, for all that God has been doing in us and through us and to us. It really is amazing, is it not? It's like watching a, a documentary on revival and to figure out it's your church that they're talking about. It is, it's amazing what God has done. Can I just tell you one of the most amazing things? is since the day we've opened the doors that 3,000 people have surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Three, not about 3,000, 3,000. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit saved 3,000 people. Now, in our church, it took him three years to do what he did one day there. But still, same Holy Spirit, moving like crazy. And so, I'm inviting you to go on this two-year journey with us that, that we really kick it off over the next five weeks. I need you to grab, grab your booklet that you were given. Turn to page 21. Our scripture will be there. Um, you need to carry this around with you. Not everywhere you go, but in your disciple groups and, and bring it to church for the next five weeks. All, the first 20 pages... Basically, just unpack all the information that that video teed up for you, because I know sometimes you might forget stuff that you've heard, and so it's all in there so that you can be reminded of what God is calling us to. And fundamentally, here's what I need you to know, that this is, this is the biggest thing we've ever done, but it's, it's really not new, it's just our turn. And what we are doing is to continue, to continue to do what we've been doing since the very first day that we ever opened. This is all about Him, we're here to make much about Him and not about us. And our number one goal, our number one goal in the Before All Things Generosity Initiative is this. It's about 100% participation. I want 100% of the people that would call 1122 their home to go before the Lord and ask this fundamental question, God, are you really first in my life? What would it look like to say, God, that you are before all things? Because the reality is he is first. You'll either know him first as judge or first as savior, but he is first. And what does it look like for us? How would it transform every single individual in our church and transform us as a church if we said and declared and lived out, God, you are before all things in my life? Because I don't know about you, but in my life, sometimes some things have, have uh, the tendency to kind of creep their way into the wrong place. That is our number one goal. I need you here every week over the next five weeks for us to help begin to make that happen. 100% participation. And if you're a guest, what a great time to show up. You don't have to show up later and be like, what are they into? You're about to find out what we're into, okay? For the next two years, this is where we're going. Our second goal, the secondary goal, is that we are believing God for $24 million over the next two years in this one fund approach. Let me say it again, okay? $24 million. Now, it's a one-fund approach, which means that our mission, vision, and values, two years of our operating budget, are in that number. And here's why that's very, very important, is I do not want to do, like a lot of churches unintentionally do, get everybody excited about buying a Walmart and a sneakers, and then they forget the mission, vision, and values. The number one most important thing in this whole initiative is for us to continue to be a gospel-centered ministry that is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so here we go. Grab your notebook open to page 21 because this is just what's true. Is that followers continuously follow after Jesus. If you ever stop, then guess what? You're not a follower anymore. And that God did not start this movement for us to shut it down, but to keep moving wherever he leads. And so the foundation to get us kicked off is this principle of preeminence. And if you're going to be at 1122 or one of the things that you're going to hear every single year, you're always going to hear sermons on fear, forgiveness, and that God is first. And so what I want to do to get us ready for what's coming up for the next five weeks and really for the next two years and hopefully for the rest of our lives is this, is that God is first, that God is preeminent. 
that this whole 1122 deal is not about 1122, and it is definitely not about making much of me. It is about proclaiming for the whole world to hear that he is first. And not only is it important in your own life, but it's fundamental to understanding the gospel. So go to Colossians chapter 1, or it's right there in your notebook if you want to just follow along there. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says it this way, talking about Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. You might want to underline that word preeminent. Preeminent doesn't just mean first in sequence, but also first in importance. That it is, He is first in priority, not just sequence. Verse 19, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, at 1122, we are not into... We are not into fads, we are not into gimmicks, we are into the gospel. That's what we are about. And, and in order for us to understand the gospel, you first have to understand this, that God is first. There's just some things that God won't do or can't do, because God always operates in his character, in his nature. For instance, God will never be surprised. God will never pop up in heaven and be like, you know what I just thought of? That never happens. God never changes Never changes, because if he could change, he could get better or worse. Both would, both would disqualify him from being God, and it's good news for you that God never changes. You know why? Because when he saved you, that means he never changes. He'll never take it back. He won't save you this weekend and then watch you at Georgia, Florida next weekend and be like, no, 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 give it back. He won't do that. And that God will not be second. He will not be second, because he is first, and he is preeminent. You see, God is first, and we, we respond to him being first, we never initiate. That God initiates. And I know we love to make much of us. But it is not eustory, it's history. And you can be a part of his story, you don't invite him to come be a part of yours. You see, the Bible even starts out this way in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It starts out this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, God is first. In, in, John, in the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then when you get to verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, in the beginning there was God, and Jesus is preeminent. And then somehow, particularly in the last hundred years, we've even tried to twist the gospel to make it all about us. And we even take, we take very, very popular verses like the 23rd Psalm. Even if you're brand new to church, if you've ever been to a funeral, you've heard this one, okay? The 23rd Psalm, we actually try to make things like this about us. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, he leads me into paths of righteousness. You hear all that and you'd be like, look, pastor, he's kind of into me. Well, God is for you. If someone dies for you, then they are for you. But it's not about you. He does all of this, it goes on to say, for his name's sake. Not for your name's sake, but for his name's sake and for his own glory. And that is good news. That is good news. 
Because God is first, and we are invited to respond to who he is and what he's done, and not the other way around. God is first. And because God is first, this is important, God went first. You know why God loves? Because God is love. And so God always operates within his character in, in, in regards to who he is. So Romans 5.8 says this, But God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See how important this is? This is fundamental to the gospel. There are still some of you that think that God doesn't love you. He loves some future version of you. But God demonstrated his love for you by going first before you've ever tried to clean up your act. Before you said, you know what, I'm going to start going to church. You know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little bit of money. You know what, I'm going to quit cussing so much, and I'm going to quit drinking during the week a lot, okay? Before, I, before you started doing all of those kind of things, God, just to make sure that you knew that he is first, and he first loved you, he said, I'll go first and demonstrate my love for you in this. The, the, while you're still all jacked up, that Christ died for us. You know, some people, some people think, once I get my act together, then I'll come to the Lord. That's crazy. That's like saying, once the bleeding stops, then I'll go to the ER. You don't need the ER. You need a psych ward if that's what you're thinking, okay? The ER is there to help you stop the bleeding. Welcome to the ER. That's what this place is. It's a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. You see, he initiates. John 3, 16. I know some of you think Tebow wrote this verse. He didn't, but he likes it, okay? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And it goes on to say that Jesus did not come to condemn the world but to save the world. You see, when when God looks down and he sees a problem here on earth, he does not give leftovers because he does not do leftovers. You see, God is a God of love and because he loved us so much, he sent his best and his first. He didn't do left. He didn't look around heaven and be like, okay, look, we're going to kind of do like an earth uh, idol, and everybody's going to try out, and whoever it doesn't have anything to do up in here in heaven, you can go down. He didn't say, Ga- Gabriel, uh, Michael, put down your trumpets. I-, I-, I got a mission for you. No. He sends his only begotten son. And the reason, this is important, because he's first. And because he's first, he goes first. Therefore, we are to respond by putting God first in our life. Because again, God is first. You can either know him first as judge or first as savior, but he is first. And our response to God is to put him as preeminent, not just first in sequence, but put him as first in priority in our life. It's all throughout the scriptures. And the reason that I'm bouncing around all throughout the scriptures today is because I want you to see that literally from the very first verse to the very last verse of the Bible that, that it's built on this foundation of the preeminence of Christ, that he is first. And so one of the ways that we put him first, if you go to Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 to 3, I hope this is a review for you. It says this, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and you shall have no other gods before me. Does anybody know where this is? Ten Commandments, all right? It's the first one. We did a whole series on it, and everybody just sat there like, okay, you should know this. You're like, you didn't do the finger. Sometimes you got to grow up and just learn them, all right? So it's the very first commandment. And the very first commandment, God says, put me first. Very famous theologians like Martin Luther would say things like, all the other commandments are just what it looks to live out the first commandment, which is God is first. 
And again, it's not just an Old Testament idea. It's all the way through the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, now here's a little audience participation. Jesus says, but seek, what's that word? Okay. Can I just ask you all a question? How come when I bring my friends in here to preach at Saturated, y'all just talk back to them like crazy? They say, what's it say? And y'all are like, first! And then I do it, and you're like, oh, are we supposed to talk? It's not saturated. What do we do? <laughs> It'll just leave me all up here by myself. All right, here you go. Let's try it one more time. But seek. First. There you go. Good morning. The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And you know what the context in which Jesus is talking about here? This is called the Sermon on the Mount. And earlier in, in Matthew 6, he says this. He goes, what are you worrying about? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? In fact, we know that if you worry, it'll actually take hours off of your life. And, and, and you know what they're worried about? They're worried about the same thing we're worried about. What are we going to wear? Where are we going to eat? Where are we going to live? What does everybody think about me? That's what they're worried about. And then here's what he says. He says, consider the birds of the air. Now, again, this is the Sermon on the Mount, not the Sermon in the Walmart. So they don't have to wait till they get outside to look at the birds of the air. I think he's going, look. See that bird over there? And they all look, and there's a bird. And he goes, look, your father takes care of that bird. So can't you trust him as your source for everything you need? If he's taking care of the birds, and much to Peter's chagrin, uh, you as people are more important than birds. And then he says, consider the lilies of the field. And again, they don't have to Google a flower on their phone. They are sitting amongst the flowers. And they go, there they are. They're so beautiful. And then he says, consider them. They don't find their, like, everything they have to be that beautiful is given to them by God. So maybe you should trust your significance to your heavenly Father and not just your stuff. Why worry? And then in the context of that, worrying about stuff, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What things? All this stuff that you're worried about. They will be added unto you. Every time I read these things, about don't worry. Why? Because God is a good dad that takes care of his kids. I think about my dad. And I don't know if, if the idea of Heavenly Father helps you in your understanding of God. It helps me a lot because I've got a good dad. He took very good care of us as kids. And when I, was, when I was growing up, I didn't grow up in church. I grew up fishing. It's just what we did, okay? On Saturdays and Sundays, my grandma would get mad if we went on Sundays, but we would trick her and go anyway. And we would go fishing, and we would fish, not fancy fishing like most of you do, like a real nice boat and go red fishing. But don't feel bad about that. Jesus did a lot of ministry on a boat, okay? Praise God. And so I love going with you. But we used to fish in a little two-man John boat that my daddy and granddaddy made by hand, all right? Uh, and it had, a little, it had a little 20 Johnson on it. And if you don't know what that is, you should repent and, and know Jesus, okay? He was a fisherman. So... And we would go out in the Little Petey River, and we would brim fish with cane poles and a little box of crickets. And do you know what I worried about when we would go fishing? Nothing. Nothing. Why? Because as a 7-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 9-year-old, I didn't have anything to worry about because my dad was in charge. He had it under control. Did I worry about how we were going to get there? No. I knew we were going to take our 73 Chevy with three on the column. All right? Did I worry about safety? No. Why? Because I'm sitting on the bench seat, and my brother would stand in between us. Did we have seatbelts? Why would you need a seatbelt? Dad had that move right there, you know, to stop a bullet. Sometimes, I've told you this before, I'd be reaching around behind the seat, and I'd find a seatbelt. I'm like, Daddy, what's this? It's a strap with a buckle. And he'd be like, boy, took that thing in behind you. It's going to fly around and hurt somebody. Yes, sir, Daddy, you know. 
We'd rock out to Johnny Cash, Ring of Fire, all right? It's the only thing that sounded good on that little system. He'd smoke like a freight train, and occasionally we could crack open that triangle window and get a little bit of oxygen, right? <laughs> we worried about it. No, we would get out there. Was I worried about a fishing license? No, why? Because my daddy was in charge. Were we worried about tackle? No, why? My daddy had it under control. Were we worried about, I don't know, boys, freaking some people out, isn't it? No problem. <laughs> I wasn't worried about any of that stuff because my dad had it under control. Was I worried about what we were going to eat? No. Why? Because my dad brought lunch every week. Same thing every time. We'd get hungry. You boys getting hungry? Yes, sir. And he would have all these little dad sayings that he would say, you know, we'd be riding down the river. How fast we going, daddy? Wide open. You know, stuff like that, dad moves. And I promise I'd never be that goofy and i say that kind of dumb stuff all the time. Where'd you catch him? Right there in the mouth. All that kind of stuff. And he's like, y'all ready to eat? Yes, sir, we're ready to eat. And every week he'd pull out a can of Vienna sausages. I can tell by your face, you too have dwelt in that cave, right? <laughs> Crack that thing open. Scoop that little jelly stuff off the top. I don't know what that is. And every week he'd say the same thing. I knew what he was going to say. He'd say, you know what these are made out of? What, Daddy? He'd go, lips and butts. <laughs> and then he'd go, I see one right there. And he'd eat it. we got, oh, that's gross. Give me one, give me one, give me one. And we'd eat them. They were awful. But they sustained us. We loved it, man. We loved it. You know what I worried about? Nothing. Why? Because my dad was with me. He had it under control. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Trust him. Listen, regardless of where you are financially or where you are in your walk with Jesus, just imagine, just let down the guard for just a second. You can pick it back up in a minute. But listen, just imagine for a second if you had that kind of trust in your heavenly father. I mean, imagine if you had total trust, regardless of your financial situation and whatever it is, what would it feel like if you were worried about nothing in regards to provision and protection? Because you knew, you knew he had it under control. See, that's what, that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that kind of trust is how, one of the ways that we put God first. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled to plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You see, one of the ways that we seek God first is we honor him with everything that he has given us. That all of it should honor him. A chunk of it to build his kingdom and the rest of it to glorify him in our enjoyment. And it's, it's, not, just, it's not just with what he's blessing us with now. It's, bless, it's, it's bringing back to him from the past what he's blessing us with now and in the future. That's why it says, with your first fruits and all your produce. You see, first fruits is very, very important because God is first. And so we bring to him first. And then there is a promise that says, and your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you the problem. And it's pervasive in our society right now. It's called the prosperity gospel. And it is an absolute heresy from the pit of hell. The gospel needs no adjective, okay? The gospel stands fine just on its own. And what the prosperity gospel teaches is, if I go first, then God owes me vats of wine and barns of plenty. What's the problem with that? The fundamental problem with that is who is preeminent in that equation? I am. I'm first, and I go first, and God, you have to respond to me. That is the opposite of seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You see, what we are supposed to do is respond to God with our first and our best, not with our leftovers. 
And then is there a promise there? Yes and amen. But if you think you can get God on the hook to owe you, then you're trying to be God and ask him to serve you. Now, let me just tell you, there is, a, there is an absolute blessing here. If you bring God your first fruits, I, let me tell you one of the, a couple of the biggest blessings. One, if you can just learn to live on less than you make, you will be blessed all the days of your life because you'll always have enough. That is a financial blessing that you just cannot deny. But there's even more to that. It takes more than a sharp pencil, a sharp mind, and a good budget to really trust God and, and to bring first fruits by faith. You see, because here's what first fruit giving is. First, is. first is, before I know all the rest of the story, God, I'm bringing you first and best. Why? Because I trust you because you're a good dad that loves his kids. Well, how much rest is coming in? I'm not sure about that, but I am trusting God. By faith, I understand that he's still got the whole world in his hands. And the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. So God is first. God went first. Therefore, we are to put God first. And next, what we do with our money exposes what is first in our hearts. It's just true. What we do with our money exposes what is first in our heart. So that means you can't have a heart fully surrendered to God and your finances be all jacked up and, and you control them. That means that, that you can't, you know, you can say, hey, look, I go to church every week, and I sing with my hands up. Even when we sang the new song, because I bought the album, and I've been worshiping in my car, I can still sing with my eyes closed, because God likes that better, okay? I am all in for him, and yet be in total control of your finances, and there's a lordship problem. Don't believe me? Okay, email Jesus. He says this, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, that your heart follows your treasure and not the other way around you want to know who's lord of your life i'm telling you just run through your bank statement and whatever is first in your life is what is first in your life not just in sequence not just in sequence but in priority but in priority the best example i've ever seen of this is um is pastor jerry sweat when i moved here in 2003 pastor jerry sweat was a gator fan he was a big time florida fan did you guys hear what he said on this stage two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, he said, go Knowles. You know what happened? All three of his children went to FSU. His dollars went to Tallahassee. And so now he has changed allegiance from Gainesville to Tallahassee. Why? Because where your treasure is, you pay for three kids to go through there. You'd be like, blue and whatever. Okay, let's do this thing. All right? It all switched over. Because your heart follows your treasure. That's what Jesus is saying. And he doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Malachi says this. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. He says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. You know who he's talking to? All of us. Every single one of us, just like the hymn writer writes, Every single one of us are prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I am all in with the Jesus thing, okay? I mean, really, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? That's, I, I'm in, all right? And yet, somehow, I am prone to not follow the statutes and the commandments of God, and I just can wander away. The good news is I'm not alone. I'm not alone. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a big bunch of the New Testament, he would say things like, um, I want to do good, and evil's right there with me. The bad things I don't want to do, these I do, and the good I want to do, I can't do. Same thing. Or how about Peter, one of the original disciples? I mean, you want to talk about an epic 
failure, he promised, right after he almost messed up communion, he promised Jesus, I would never leave you, I would never forsake you, I would die for you. That night, he's like, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't even know him. Or David, King David, you want to think, you want to know if King David's a big deal in the Bible? He's a man after God's own heart. Me and you, wretched black-hearted sinners. He writes the soundtrack to the Bible. That's what the Psalms are. So he's trending really high on iTunes back in the day. You understand? He's kind of a big deal. And what does he do? Commits adultery and then kills the woman's husband. And so this invitation in Malachi 3 is for every single one of us, all of us who have turned aside from his statutes and have not kept them. And then God's invitation to us is this. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. He is talking about to discover and deepen a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And you say, how shall we return? In other words, okay, God, I know there's some distance here, but what's the problem? And here's how he answers in verse 8. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? So think about this. Of all the things that God's going to bring up that is driving a wedge between these, his people and their relationship with him, God goes with money. It's probably why in the New Testament, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve both God and money. Because I'm telling you, you get hold of some money, and over in a minute, man, that money starts to get hold of you. It's just true. It's why when you walked in today, and as soon as the money topic comes up, all of us begin to get a little defensive. I get it. I get it. It's what God is saying here. Listen, the reason that there's this big distance here is because you've been robbing me. And the people are like, what do you mean robbing you? Which I get that. Some of you are like, I've never robbed God. It's never been the end of the service. And instead of coming to the altars, I went back to one of the giving boxes and nobody was looking. I cracked it open, got a little bit of lunch money. Be like, come on, Martha, let's go. I've never done that. In fact, some of you think that God robbed you once. Like you went to our giving kiosk and you thought it was an ATM. You're trying to get out lunch money. And it was like, thank you for your contribution. You're like, what? You robbed me. All right, maybe. But here's how he answers. <clears throat> they say, how have we robbed you? God answers, in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. In your tithes and contributions. A tithe, in, all throughout the Bible, means the first 10%. The first 10%. That, that the first is God's. Why? Because he is first. He is first. And I will at times have people want to argue with me about is the tithe an Old Testament idea or a New Testament idea. Here's the idea. Everybody that I've ever had that conversation with is trying to figure out how to keep more for themselves. So, so don't save your, your you know, biblical gymnastics for yourself. Now, if you just want to come up and be like, hey, I'm narcissistic and greedy and would like more for me, now we can talk, you know, because admitting the problem is the first step in repentance and turning to the Lord. And so, and he doesn't even stop at the tithe. It's your tithes and contributions. And what it is, it is an expression of your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And then in verse 10, he says, so bring the full tithe to the storehouse. Bring. That's an important word, bring. Do you realize, if you've been coming here a while, maybe you figure this out. Do you realize that, you know, we don't, we don't pass a plate here. In any of our services, we don't pass a plate. For a number of reasons. One is because it says bring, not take up. And so another reason is in, in Corinthians, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And really, you really bring back to God. You, really, you know you can't give God anything, right? I mean, what can you give him when he's given you everything you have on loan? 
So to think that you're giving to God would be like if I let you borrow my truck, and at the end of the week, you came back to me and says, I, I have a very nice gift for you. I'd be like, oh, great, thanks, but I want to give you this truck. I'd be like, you fool, that's my truck. Aren't you just borrowed my truck and trying to give it back to me? What is wrong with you? By the way, you can't borrow my truck. But a gift would be, I bring you two trucks. Okay, now we're talking about giving. Make sense? God's given us absolutely everything we have, and we bring back to him a portion. Bring. And, and in, in Corinthians, it says that God loves a cheerful giver, that you should decide in your heart and then give cheerfully, and that you should not give under compulsion. And I don't want you to give under compulsion. And I think, I just kind of suspect that if a bucket or a plate began to come down the aisle, you would give under compulsion. You'd be like, oh, man, you got any money? I don't know. And then you online givers would feel double guilty. You'd be like, I give online. I'm a, I'm a swiper, okay? you feel all jacked up and care about what people think. And then the experts tell me this. The experts tell me that we could probably take in more money as a church if we would pass the plate. But I don't care. Here's why. According to Hebrews chapter 13, there will be a day that I stand before Jesus and give an account for you. And I don't think I'll be held accountable on how much money is brought in. I think I'll be held accountable on the disciples that we make. And I'm more interested in making disciples than, than bringing in money. I hope you know that and you need to know that. But with that in mind, let me tell you this. Because I know when we talk about money, people get uncomfortable. Here's a conversation I refuse to have on that day with Jesus. I refuse to stand before him one day and say, God, thank you so much for blessing me with all these sheep that I got to be the under-shepherd of for my time. And I know what your Bible says, that you're first and you went first and you gave your first and best and we're supposed to be radically generous in our finances towards you. But you know what, God? It made people uncomfortable and so I was afraid to talk about it. Even though your word's clear about it, I was afraid to talk about it. I refuse to have that conversation with Jesus. So my job as your pastor is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And that's a part of what this is. And it's why Jesus said that no one can serve two masters because he knew, he knew that the number one competitor for our hearts would be money. It's why here in Malachi, God says, hey, listen, one of the things that's driven a wedge here is that you're trying to hold on to something and it's actually holding on to you. So you bring, you bring, you bring your first and you bring your best, your tithes and offerings. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, that is provision. <clears throat> I will rebuke the devourer for you, that is protection, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. By the way, a very good biblical definition of love is provision and protection. And so because God first loves us, we respond to him. Let me just tell you a reality. Something is getting your first. Something is getting your first. And I don't just mean in sequence. I also mean in priority. The way most of us operate in America is we make financial decisions that make all of our financial decisions that revolve around us. Where am I going to live and what am I going to drive? And that, I'm not talking about in amount. I'm talking about in priority. Imagine what our lives would look like if God got our first in sequence and our first in priority. 
And, and because of Christ's radical generosity on the cross, we said, okay, God, I want to I wanna respond to you by putting you first in sequence and priority. And that decision makes all the other decisions in my life. Because the reality is, Jesus did not tithe his blood. He poured all of it out. And the most important thing in your life will have the biggest impact in your life. It will change everything about you. This is true all the way back from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says this, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel, and now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now, it doesn't even say how much. So he could have actually brought more than his brother, but in the course of time, so not first, not as a priority, but after he checked out everything and made sure there was enough to go around, he brought an offering, not a first fruits offering, but he brought leftovers. But remember, God doesn't do leftovers. But... And verse 4, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Because listen, what, here's what Abel did. Let's put it in, in 2015. Abel was 100% commissioned. He didn't know. How many, how many are going to be born? I don't know. So shouldn't you wait until there's 10 and give the 10th one? Yeah, but God's not 10th in my life. He's first in my life, so I'm going first. I'm going to respond to the fact that God is first and God loved first and God came after me and initiated. And my response to him is, God, you get first, not just in sequence, but in priority. And so Abel's offering, which could have in amount been far less than Cain's offering, is, is pleasing to God because we serve a Christ that is preeminent. And he was responding. He was responding. And here's why. Because to give first requires faith. To give leftovers doesn't require faith. You could just be a good budgeter and come up with that. And the Bible says over and over, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so by faith, we go before the Lord in response to what Christ has done for us and say, okay, God, you're first. And you're going to be first in my life. Here's the point. Is that we bring to God our first and best because God first loved us by giving us his best. We bring to God first and best because God first loved us by giving us us his best so for the next listen the next two years we're going to be on this before all things discipleship journey we really kick it off in the next five weeks and i church i need you this is the biggest thing we've ever done but it's just the same thing that we continue to do it's just a continuation of a declaration of the gospel of jesus christ and here's what i need number one i need you to commit to pray for this movement and your role in it i mean to really pray not pray. You know how sometimes you lie to people, and like Ted's walking up, you're like, dear God, be with Ted. Hey, Ted, I've been praying for you. Not that kind of prayer. I mean, like on your face prayer. Some of you, what you need to be praying about is, God, why? Why do I feel so defensive right now? What is going on in me? I need you to pray for me as the pastor of this church. I need, I need you to pray for our elders and our staff because you know as, as God is using this movement to reach all people and all kind of people, the enemy is not happy with that, and he comes after us often. And we know that nothing he can do can stop a move of God, but we need your prayers. One of the ways that you can pray is Monday at 6.30, right here in the worship center, <clears throat> um, 
you could show up and pray because we're having a prayer meeting for our Bay Meadows location. Pastor Stone will be leading it, and we would like a 1,000 of 1122ers that attend here at San Pablo now, the beginning on January 10th and for the rest of your days, to begin to attend at that location. So if you are interested in moving from a Walmart to a sports bar, okay, then we would like for you to be here and to pray like crazy for that. Number two, I need you to lean into this two-year journey. I need you to lean in. Very practically, here's what it means. I need you to be here all five weeks, all five weeks. And some of you haven't been to church five times in a row since VBS, all right? So it's a new you. I need you to lean in like crazy and commit to be here. I need you to commit to attend your disciple group if you're in one. If you're not in one, I'd like for you to try disciple groups out for the next three weeks. We're hosting them right here. We're going to feed you a little bit, take care of your kids. We're removing all the obstacles. And I also need you to use your booklet. Bring this to church, all right? Take notes in it. Also, review the first 20 pages so that you can remind yourself of all that God is doing and all that God is calling us to do. And I don't know about you, but part of the reason that you need this discipleship booklet is... um, God doesn't often work on my timing. God, I need you to speak to me. And if you could do it between the eight, you know, office hours, that'd be great. But he tends to speak to me in his own timing. And you need to have this close so you can write those things down. Right? I need you to lean in. Here's what's cool about leaning into God. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This could be a life-changing event for you. Maybe for the very first time, you've leaned in in a way that you never have before. I need you to commit to pray. I need you to lean in like crazy. And then number three, I need you to begin to ask, what does it look like to put Christ before all things in my life? And I'm begging for 100% participation from our church in this. And here's the thing. I'm not going to talk specific numbers with you. I'm not a car salesman. I'm not going to come to your house and say, hey, what do you think about this? I'm like, I don't know. What about that? Let me see my manager. That's not how this works. My job is to create the kind of environment where you can go before the king of kings your heavenly Father, and say, God, what does it look like for me, for me, to declare that you are before all things, and then I just need you to do what he says. And for some of you, you're going to think, wow, that, that sounds crazy. Some of you, this is just true, some of you are going to sell a home or two, sell cars, make major financial um, decisions that change everything. And right now you're thinking, who are those people? And it's you, you just don't know it yet. And you just got to lean into the Lord. And here's, here's why. Because the number one goal is 100% participation. So here's what this means. If at the end of this service, somebody were to come up and go, 24 million? Yeah, all right. You take that check? I don't know. Do they do checks for 24 million? Some of you know. I don't. And if you were to just write a check, what do I do with this? I'll put it in, I'll hand it to me. I'll take it to the safe, okay? We would say, praise God, high five. And then we would know, guess what? God maybe had 42 million. I don't know what the deal is. But that would only be like 0.001% participation from our church. It's not about the dollars, it's about our discipleship. That's what this whole thing is about. I am convinced that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That is true individually, and God always fuels his own dreams. And so I need you to lean in like you've never leaned in before. I want you to, in the very back of your, uh, in the back of your notebook, there is a commitment card. And don't even think about filling it out yet. That's not what it is. It's, to, it's, it's for you to put in some place in your home where you can be praying about this. God, what does it look like for me and my family? And some of you are like, oh, gosh, this is kind of scary. Hey, man, fear not. Trust God. Trust him. He's a good dad. Also, it is a reminder that the number one thing on here is to continue to cultivate ministry. The number one thing is to continue to be a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
that before, before anything else, he is before all things. And then on 11-22, which is pretty neat the way Jesus worked that out for us, on November the 22nd, we are going to have a commitment weekend here where every single family, every single person that calls this place home will come before the Lord and say, God, this is my de- declaration. This is my declaration of what it looks like for you to be before all things. Sometimes I'll have people say, hey, uh, why are we doing all this? I mean, it's going great. Why don't we just kind of relax? Well, one, you don't know me. And then two, Jesus never called us to relax. He called us to follow him. And he's on the move. And this thing is a movement. And this is what he is calling us to. And if you, if you go back to Colossians chapter 1, after it talks about the preeminence of Christ, it says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Look around this room, folks. Do you know at some point in the past God used others to reach us? And now he wants to use us to reach some others? I mean, there's some families in Bay Meadows in East Africa right now that are far from God, and little do they know that over this next year, because what God uses in the fruit of your radical generosity, their eternal trajectory will be changed because of what he is doing. It's because of the gospel that we're doing it. It's not, it's not just corporately, but it's also deeply, deeply personal. It is our response to Christ's life and death and resurrection. In Exodus chapter 13, as Moses is getting the people of God ready to move into the promised land, he goes over the principle of preeminence with them in, in uh, Exodus 13, verse 1 and 2. He says, the Lord says to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. You see, what is first is God's because God is first. And then when you get to verse 12, it's kind of weird. I'll have to explain it. It says, and you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Here's what this means. It was a picture of the gospel. That a donkey is born unclean, a lamb is born clean. You would sacrifice the clean to redeem the unclean. It was a picture for me and you that we would go, hey, have we been born clean or unclean? Regardless of what your kindergarten teacher told you, it's unclean. Jesus was born clean. And the clean was sacrificed for the redemption of the unclean, us, to make us clean. And, the, and then he goes on to say this. It says in verse 14, And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? Like, Dad, I've been noticing, man, why do we kill the firstborn lamb? I mean, we're ranchers here. This is costing us some serious bank. I don't get it. Why don't we give the gimpy one that's born last? Why do you always give the first and the best? And here's your response. And you shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. You remind him. Listen, we are responding because when we were slaves in Egypt, that God sent his first and his best to reconcile and redeem us. You see, this is intensely personal. What we do with our finances is intensely personal to our understanding of the gospel. And, and I kind of think in Bible verses, I don't know if it's just because I work here or if that's the way I'm wired, but last summer, I'm in, the, I'm in between here and the sanctuary, and we're bringing, you know, the Martins, we do first fruits offering. The first money we spend of the first day of the week 
is we bring our tithes and offerings. And we don't stop at a tithe. And the reason, because Jesus didn't stop. He lavished his love upon us over and over and over. And so we try to do whatever it is that God has called and commanded us to do and stretch like crazy. And so the very first dollars we spend is I go back to the giving kiosk and I swipe my card and I type in that number as our bringing our first and our best. And I like to do it every single week as just an act of worship. And, and most of the time at the end of the last service, JP's with me. He's, he was eight years old then. And he's running around not paying attention to anything. But that day, he, you know, that giving kiosk is about eight-year-old height. And he's standing right there and I type in my number. And for some of you, the number that I would type in, you know, you'd be like, hey, whatever. God bless your ministry. All right, honor God with your wealth. All right, thank God. For us, it's a stretch. <laughs> for an eight-year-old, he was like, huh? And so he sees it, and he goes, Dad, why do we give so much money to the church? And I said, first of all, Tom Hoss, you don't give jack. You understand? This is me and your mama. You just live for free. You actually cost me money, okay? And you're just under the blessing. That's how this works. You know what I thought about? I thought about Moses' instructions. When the time comes and your son asks you, what is the meaning of this? And so I stopped, and I took off my backpack and put it down, and I sat him down on this little pew. There's a pew in, that, in the hallway back there. And I got down on my knees, eyeball to eyeball with JP, and said, buddy, here's the thing you don't understand. Just like the nation of Israel, I was a slave, but I was a slave to my own sin. And I tried, to, I tried to kind of, you know, make it understandable to an eight-year-old and just said, look here, bud, the dad that you know is not the man that I've always been. You see, for a long, long time, JP, I was caught up in some things that enslaved me. And I was a very bad man for a very long time and did a lot of evil things to a lot of people for my own benefit. I disobeyed and ran away from God for my own benefit and in the worst of the worst of the worst seasons of my life by the mighty right hand of God he reached down and he sent his first and he sent his best Jesus Christ on a rescue mission to rescue and redeem your dad and give me a new life and so JP we will bring our first and we will bring our best gladly because he first loved us by sending us his best JP looked at me and said this, I'm glad you're my dad. <laughs> Man, I'm glad you're my dad. And I just thought, buddy, me too. Me too. And I need you to know that when we bring our first and best to God, when we bring, not just in sequence, but in priority, when we bring our first and best to God, that what we say to God is not this is all about me and all about my namesake, but God, this is all about you and your story and for the sake of your name. And fundamentally, here's what it is. We bring it back to him, our first and our best, and the response to the gospel, and it is a declaration of his children saying, I'm glad you're my dad. I am glad that you're my dad. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you because you first loved us. God, I pray that you would remind us of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not about us. It is for your namesake and for your glory. And God, I thank you that it is not about 1122. It is not about any person or personality here. It is about one name, and that is the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, would you begin to break down the barriers that we build up when we're trying to hold on to our own kingdom? 
And may by the power of your kindness and your goodness and your love, may we just ponder what grace did for us and it would cause us to respond. Radical generosity. God, we thank you. We praise you. Praise you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church, just like always, we respond. We respond by praying. We respond by bringing our tithes and offerings. And we respond by singing out what grace did for me.